Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Charlie Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we welcome Kathy Clay, Executive Vice President, Global Head of Data and Access Solutions. She leads SIBO's Global Markets Strategic Initiatives for its analytics, index, data, access, and execution services businesses. As the CEO of LiveBall and co-founder and CEO of Thales, Kathy pioneered software solutions for quoting, trade execution, and risk management. Coupled with her previous experience trading equity and index options, Kathy continues to create high-value offerings for market participants while integrating SIBO's client-facing solutions. Kathy holds a Bachelor of Science from the University of Colorado, where she learned the art of Zamboni driving. Um, she also serves on the board of One Chicago Exchange. Welcome to the show, Kathy. It's such a pleasure to be here, Shelley. Thank you. And thank you, Patrick, for having me. I have long been a subscriber of everything you guys write and uh, a recent subscriber to all of your podcasts. So thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure and honor to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. Anyone who's got the you know, coveted degree of Zamboni driving from the University of Colorado has got to be on the show. If you don't mind, tell us a little bit more about SIBO Global Markets and what you're doing over there. Yeah, so happy to talk about and so excited to talk about everything that's that's going on at SIBO Global Markets. And I'll try to keep the conversation more focused to the data and access solutions group that I have the great honor and pleasure of, of leading uh, most most of your listeners might know SIBO as more of a global exchange operator. They think of the matching engine business, bringing buyers and sellers in equities, options, and futures and FX together. And that's certainly the core of what we do. But when you think about all of the peripheral technology tools and, and analytics that are necessary for people to participate in markets, that's really what data and access solutions does for market participants. And so we really have this vision of accelerating prosperity for our global market participants. And by that, we mean developing these unrivaled, flexible solutions for them to actually understand and navigate the marketplace so that their outcomes are much better than they would be without all of the uh, tooling that we provide them. It's a larger expansion than I think most people do see from SIBO. I'm a lifelong Chicagoan, and SIBO has always been a, a big part of the marketplace here. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your history and, and your path to SIBO and the things that we touched on a little bit on the introduction? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's a great place to start backing up all the way to the beginning. A, a bit unfortunate because when I do this, then how long I've been in the industry is going to be readily apparent. But I think it would be helpful because it does set the stage for where we find ourselves today. My real education, putting the Zamboni driving aside, really started when I left college and I made my way sort of serendipitously to the Pacific Options Exchange, where I walked onto the floor and saw what was happening there, understood none of it, but knew that this was going to be a part of uh, my career. I had the great fortune on that exchange to get my first job under Thomas Petterfee. 
And for those of your listeners that don't know who Thomas Petterfee is, he is the chairman and CEO, the founder of Interactive Brokers. Uh, but back in 1994, he was the founder uh, and CEO of a market-making firm called Timber Hill. And I started my career at Timber Hill with Thomas Petterfee as my boss. And one of the things that Thomas, an incredibly intelligent entrepreneur, incredibly smart trader, taught me at a very early age was that technology was going to change everything. Now, remember, this was a time when open outcry was the way buyers and sellers met. The price discovery happened in the pits, which screaming and yelling, mostly men, traders, and there was really not a lot of technology that was being used in those days. And so Thomas, being the entrepreneur that he is, brought technology to the floor for the first time. We showed up as traders with these little handheld computers in the pits, and we were mocked mercilessly for it, while our competitors in the pits continued to have paper sheets. And every time the underlying stock moved, they would have to turn around to their clerks and say, run me new sheet centered at, and they would give the new stock price. And so they'd have to run a new sheet that would then tell you what all of the options on that underlying should theoretically be valued at. We had computers in the day that automatically updated as the underlying move. Now that seems like archaic, I know, in today's world of digitization and where we're at today, but back then it was absolutely revolutionary. And when we would meet for our holiday party every year, Thomas would, of course, get up to address all of us. And hoping for a happy holiday, great New Year inspirational speech, we were always pulled back to this mandate from Thomas. Find a way to automate yourself out of your job. And it was with that beginning of my career in derivatives, it was so impactful to know and be behind a leader who knew that technology was going to just basically change the entire landscape. Fast forward to you know, beginning of 2000, 2001, when we actually started seeing the digitization uh, because of the internet and everything that was happening in the space reached the trading floors and everything was becoming more electronic. You know, I was already well versed in that this was the future, that we, are, we were coming into our own. And so early on, in that time, right around when the floors were going electronic, there was no good technology solution for traders to really understand the market. Believe it or not, back then, there was no way to actually see what the implied volatility of an option looked like on a historical basis or in certain duration buckets, like 30-day implied vol, 60-day, 90-day, and compare that to historical and realized volatility. There was absolutely no visualization tools that did that. Liveball, the firm that I became the CEO with and was ultimately acquired by SIBO in 2015, was the first firm that started bringing these visualization tools in the derivative space to traders. And as a market maker on the floor at the time, I started using this tool, loving this tool. And so I was an early investor in the company. Uh, then I became CEO of the company in 2011-ish and then sold the company to SIBO in 2015. So what's SIBO thinking at this particular point? Well, before this, SIBO had all of this amazing captive data. As you can imagine, as an exchange provider, a global operator, you have all of this data that's coming into your matching engines. It's worth a lot of money because you can, you can sift through this, you can 
slice and dice it in ways that then informs the, the trading landscape that then you can share with market participants that gives them a leg up and understanding how to access the markets. And so with the acquisition of LiveOn in 2015, SIBO began to, to enact the strategy of bringing in this data and analytics team at the exchange for the purpose of supporting, educating, and helping clients navigate SIBO's markets and products. Before LiveOn came in, all this great data, this data exhaust that's being put off by the matching engine businesses is just going into old, untouchable, inaccessible data repositories, old Oracle type mainframes, just like dinosaur types of technology that nobody can get to. So we come in in 2015 and we start building this e-commerce data shop site, which is going to be the portal for all of our data to make its way into and to give clients easy access to the state. And now remember, in days past, when you wanted to actually do some analysis, some strategic thinking about a strategy in the marketplace or how to backtest an idea you have for a black box implementation or whatever your needs would be, even from an academic research perspective, you would order data. It would come to you as a fire hose put on a hard disk. And then you had to navigate how to get through that. We knew that the ecosystem of trading of the capital markets are strengthened by the broadening of market participants. The more participants you have in the market, the stronger the ecosystem. We needed to democratize the ability of everyone to be able to investigate, to learn, to decode, to get to whatever decision they need with data by letting people have data in the ways that they could digest it and receive it. So DataShot became the first thing SIBO did, the foundation for providing data, historical data, data subscriptions to clients. And not only did we say, okay, you know, this is, this is expensive data, it's firehose data. We basically said, no, 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 no. What if a retail trader wants to do some investigation? What if a retail trader wants to just see what something looked like? So we basically created this e-commerce site so that anybody could create an account just like you do on amazon.com or other e-commerce sites where you could actually pick specifically what data you wanted, at what time intervals you wanted, at whatever duration you wanted, so that we literally today have sales that are in the $4 and $5 range. Completely unheard of years ago. That would have been an impossible feat. Everybody's time was worth more than that, so nobody's going to spend any time. But now that we have this all automated on an e-commerce platform, you know, we now have the ability to offer this service to any level of participant from the $4 sale to the you know, six-figure sale for quant funds and hedge funds around the world that need a lot of data. That's where SIBO started on their journey for data and analytics. The next question became, how do we help people access the markets? We solve for giving people a foundational informational basis by creating this e-commerce site for people that have access to the data they need. We coupled it with the SIBO index business. Now, the index business of SIBO had been around for years. It is the home of the VIX index, for example. So people know the VIX. Uh, they know many of our option strategy benchmarks, like the buy right index and put right indexes, and all the indices we've created in-house to help teach people how to systematically build strategies uh, that are repeatable and knowable through the index methodologies that we've created. So we combined what we had long done at SIBO, which was a learning tool 
for many years, teaching people about how to transact in the markets. It also now became a more business centric model where we would bring in other indices from clients who needed third party index calculations and grow the business that way. Still serving sort of this dual mandate of serving our clients for accessing and understanding our markets, but also now starting to add a recurring non-transactional revenue base to the exchange. Okay. So here we are, index, live ball. We've got a really good index business. We have the foundations for understanding and getting access to data. Now we need to provide access to the exchange itself. So in 2017, we acquired Silex. SIBO Silex is now our flagship OEMS platform that allows all of our market participants from the retail trader to a prop shop to our most sophisticated on-floor, off-floor channels of getting order flow executed on our marketplace. So now we've solved that problem. Now we go to risk. You may have noticed, Patrick, that last year we acquired three companies within a span of six months. Now these were very strategically targeted acquisitions because what our goal was from the very beginning was to think about how we could be so elegantly horizontally integrated as a data and analytics offering that we stepped back and we examined what happens in the pre-trade part of a trade lifecycle, understanding all of the functions and jobs that occur before a trade is ever executed. And we identified what we needed to do to fulfill most of those job functions. Now we're at the at trade with Silex. We are actually offering access to the markets, but not just our markets. And this is what sets SIBO Silex apart. Most exchange platforms, because they are an exchange platform, only provide access to that exchange that offers that platform. And it's a direct connect into the exchange matching engine. It only serves clients who are sitting behind that wanting to access that particular exchanges marketplace. We knew that that was not a good solution for the end client. If our goal is to try to be completely horizontally integrated, solving the work functions for the client at each stage, pre-trade, at-trade, and post-trade, the worst thing we could do for a client was get something in front of them that then they would still have to swivel chair over to a different execution platform to go to this exchange. And that was a huge pain point our clients were telling us that nobody was trying to solve this optimized workflow that gave them the ability to do what they needed to do in their job function seamlessly. So we were very methodical about finding an OAMS platform that was broker neutral, so that clients could pick which executing brokers they wanted to route through. That should not be our decision as an exchange. And it, it should not be, it should be the end client's decision. And we also wanted one that was exchange neutral. Sure, we want people to trade on SIBO. Of course we do. But we know our clients transact on multiple exchanges. And so it would have been a disservice to find a platform that only allowed them to transact on SIBO. We wanted to solve a problem for the client. So now we have SIBO Silex solving this at trade piece uh, of access and execution services with a huge fixed order routing network, drop copy sessions, all the things the clients need to really see their executions on multiple exchanges through multiple parties in real time brought into an elegant OAMS. So we have that. Now let's go to post-trade clearing and settlement. And so we need to solve for that. Last year we did two acquisitions to really address that. FT Options, a Chicago firm, Patrick, that I'm sure, sure you're aware of, and Hanwick and Associates out of uh, New York. 
Now, both of these firms focus almost exclusively on risk, portfolio risk and margin risk. We brought these in as that gap analysis told us our clients need to be able to see their risk in the after the day sort of look that post-trade, but also we are incorporating all of this into our real-time products so that all clients can see their risk, portfolio, margin, do what-if scenario analysis in that at-trade moment and make adjustments where necessary. And so the final firm we acquired was Henry Schwartz's Trade Alert out of New York in June of last year. Now, this was really a strategic acquisition that lets us touch so many important clients' desks with real-time market color. Trade Alert is exactly what they do. They alert participants accessing the markets on what's happening, directional flow, color on the market, real-time information that absolutely is needed when people are transacting. And so we brought, we brought Henry's group in in June. So now we are completely horizontally integrated and we think we've solved almost all of the gaps we need to solve to really serve the client seamlessly. That's amazing. It's amazing. I, one of the things that was in our previous conversations that I really want to touch on is with all these acquisitions, right? You're bringing in all these different types of companies. One of the things that I think really surprised me was the retention of the leadership of those organizations where normally in those acquisitions, and I don't know if that's standard in, in the financial industries or not, but most of the people that I know who have gone through that, as soon as they get acquired, I think the term is they're already on the boat, right? <laughs> Mentally, if not physically uh, checked out. But it, the strategy for yourself and everything that's going on is being able to retain all of that wisdom, knowledge, networking, communication. And it, to me, that would seem a big challenge to balance that many very strong wills, very accomplished, uh, and bring that all under one tent for one of a better term. How are, how are you able to do that? You're right. We have five company founders and CEOs on our team. And one might think that is just a recipe for disaster because you're right. They're very strong-willed. They're very persistent. You know, we all want our way. The thing that is the glue for our team, first of all, is that when we acquire companies, we really do pay attention to team as number one, how are they gonna fit into our culture? And two, the product, because they can have a great product, but if the team is not gonna gel, then it's just not gonna work. It's a recipe for failure. So how does it work when we have five CEOs together on a team? Well, we all share the same philosophy, team above individual. We can have heavy, heavy debates. Heavy debate is healthy. We debate ideas all the time. But when we leave the room, we all have given consensus about what direction we're going in. And we all live and die by this credo because if it falls apart, then the whole team will take instruction from the leaders uh, and, and not be cohesive any longer. The other thing about SIBO that's really important to note here, and I was a I was a, a doubter as well when, when LiveAll was acquired in 2015, uh, we were a San Francisco-based firm. Uh, I did have one-year handcuffs put on me that I couldn't do, I couldn't leave 
for a year. But my intention at acquisition was to do exactly that, was to leave. So I didn't go to Chicago. I didn't move there. I didn't buy a house there. I stayed in San Francisco, just doing my best for the company because, you know, otherwise that's low integrity. But I did have my eye on, on leaving. But it was Ed Tilly himself, CEO of SIBO, who called me up during that year lockout period and said, we're going to build something amazing at SIBO. We're going to build together something absolutely incredible. And then we're going to scale it across the globe. And you need to be a part of this. And he got me so excited uh, that I did move to Chicago. I bought a house there and I spend a good half of my year there, if not more now, uh, and have learned to love Chicago, especially in the summer. But all of the founders and CEOs that are on the team are the same way. When there's a big vision, a large mandate put in front of these types of entrepreneurs, you can't help but get excited about it. You can't help but buy into the fact that this is still entrepreneurial. This is still sky's the limit. There's no upper bounds on this. There are no limits to what we can do together. And when people really believe that, and I think some firms say that they they innovate, and I think some firms try to say, yeah, it's entrepreneurial here. That's that can't be the case. But at SIBO, you know, when you think about values of a corporation, of a company, and what values they truly instill in their associates. A core value is something that cannot be extracted from the DNA of the company. It is just there. And then there's the aspirational values where you try to get better at, you try to aspire that. I think a lot of companies have innovation and entrepreneurship as an aspirational value. It is a core value at SIBO. It is the DNA of SIBO. And it's not lost on us and the founders and CEOs that are now part of Data and Access Solutions. It is not lost on us that this is a core value of SIBO, that we are able to continue to dream big and not incrementally. And in fact, dreaming big is expected. Like we are expected to be aggressive and bold and think big. And when that is a real value and it permeates throughout the entire organization, you feel it, you know it, you believe it. And that's what keeps all of us here. That is truly what keeps all of us here, is there seems to be no limit to what we can accomplish. That's awesome. I think it touches on one of the bigger challenges when it does come to innovation within other organizations. Are you, you know, you mentioned, is there a big vision here that's greater than a quarter, right? Where a lot of organizations, uh, the strategies are very quarter results performance based and that short term mentality is the thing I think that really kills off what's necessary. That big vision, like you talk about, where it's something where like we don't really know what it's going to look like, but we know where we're going, right? Uh, previous guest had said like, yeah, coming up with a plan when you have no idea what you're doing, but you know you're going north, right? Like not really sure what it looks like. There is something to that of like, asking for help from everybody in the company, being honest and saying, look, we're going to acquire these things. We don't know which one yet. We don't know what we need to do, but to be globally, you know, available, integrated horizontally, you know, scaling, going into other markets, right. Going into that's, that's an impressive objective where it's obviously beyond the realm of what most people would dare even talk about. SIBO does not manage the quarter. We definitely 
think the long game here. And if you see the recent acquisitions we've done with Chiex Asia Pacific, you know, our investment of uh, European equities with the purchase of BATS a few years ago, and now moving into European derivatives this year. And you can see the board right now. You can see where we're headed as a global exchange operator, uh, integrating more vertically, as you're talking about, Patrick, with the addition of new geographies across the globe, new asset classes, new sources of data that's just going to feed the entire ecosystem here. It's really interesting, you know, when you think about the short game versus the long game. I remember when I had my first meeting after being acquired in 2015 with one of SIBO's uh, executives at the time who I have immense respect for. Uh, I walked into his office and I was, I was kind of complaining. I was like, I can't get this done fast enough. This is in my way. This is an obstacle. I need to break this down. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I walked out of the office thinking, what, what in the world is he talking about? Because as an entrepreneur, you're like, everything's a sprint. You know, you go, go, go. Everything is a sprint. And I thought that was like the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. And I certainly was not going to adopt that mindset ever was what I told myself. But as I've matured uh, as a person in this role in the organization, you do have to think about the marathon. You do have to think about the entire race. And certainly you have to be nimble and you have to sprint and you have to try things and you have to fail sometimes. And you have to do all those things along the way. Uh, but you always have to keep that end game in mind. And we know the trajectory. The, the trajectory of where we're going is crystal clear. What remains more of a mystery is the velocity. Like we've got the direction. How quickly we're going to get there is really what, what we face. How quickly can we do this? How quickly can we get there? How quickly can we incorporate these different data sets into our data and analytics solutions? Like how fast can we move? The trajectory is known. We know exactly where we're going. Interesting. Interesting. So that transition from, you know, being that entrepreneur, right? And the CEOs where it's like see door, kick door, right? Like now you've got a see door, coordinate with a, a couple other folks, right? Maybe influence a little bit more other people to, to join you in the door kicking instead of just, uh, you know, being the little, yeah, I wrestle with calling it chaos monkey. Cause I don't really think it's a chaos monkey. I think it's a, it's a chaos attractant, right? Like you're, there's a magnetism like, Oh, there's chaos. I'll go jump in there, but you don't want to live there forever. Right? Like the whole point is to put structure into that chaos as you're building your team and you're, you're doing more of, you know, that, that famous phrase of like, if you want to go fast, go alone, if you want to go far, go together. What are some of the things that you've changed about your management strategy or your philosophies? Um, and again, I think there's the, a good friend of mine calls it people come with batteries included. Right. And I think that's you in a nutshell, uh, you have a nuclear, power plant included, not just double A batteries there. Uh, but like, is there things that, you know, you use the term mature and I think that's a big part of it, right? As we start to, you know, see ourselves a little bit differently. What, what's changed? What, what are some of the most important things you've learned uh, while you're going through uh, your transformation and in, in this change of being the, like wearing it all to now I don't wear it all. I've actually thought about this a lot, Patrick, because I'm actually going to start with what hasn't changed. And, and this may be a bit 
surprising, but I don't think facing obstacles as a startup, as an entrepreneur and facing obstacles here has changed. It's just a different type of obstacle. Being an influencer has not changed as an, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO of a startup. You, you have to influence. You better influence investors. You better influence people that keep your business afloat. You still have to influence in the corporate world, obviously. It's just a different, different end recipient of that influencing, if you will. I don't think there's a lot of differences that just you just change the nameplate of what the obstacle, the person you need to influence is, and, and you move forward. So, you know, I'm very comfortable hitting walls and not stopping. And that could be in a startup world. I'm not going to take no, you know, say no, take no from an investor who won't give me money because he's not seeing the right picture. I won't take no from somebody at SIBO because I just haven't shared my vision well enough. It all comes back. If I didn't move the wall this time, I'm going to, I'm going to attack it again with a little bit of a different perspective. But the maturity piece here is, here is what is different. The maturity piece inside a large organization is a recognition that things are not going to always move as quickly. And there are some challenges, some things that you just can't knock down. It would be disingenuous to tell your listeners that you can knock down any wall in a corporation just like you could at a startup because you had 100% control. Because the truth is you cannot. I cannot change our security procedures and protocols at SIBO because the firewalls are sometimes inconvenient to me. Like that is just not going to happen, right? That doesn't make you wrong, though. It doesn't make you wrong. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. That, that doesn't mean that you don't try sometimes. But I think the maturity that I'm talking about comes from really knowing the difference in things that you really can affect change in and things that you can't. And I think part of being in a corporation even as innovative as SIBO, is to understand that there are just some things that have to be for the broader safety, the broader security, the betterment of the entire organization. And SIBO is not just a large corporation. It is a highly regulated company because we are in the exchange business. And so the SEC, the CFTC, you know, they are uh, scrutinizers on our business and we have to live up to our mandate for the regulations. So I think the thing you bring to any job, whether you're an entrepreneur or within a larger company, is there's always going to be obstacles. There's just going to be differences. And can you have the stamina, the perseverance, the wherewithal to stay positive in thinking that you can affect change where change is possible? Or do you get fatigued in the trying? And that's where I think the maturity uh, that I feel in the last five years of joining SIBO um, is most welcome and is that I'm more in neutral now instead of in high gear. I can stay in neutral longer than I used to be able to. Uh, and I can stay positive uh, more easily when there are some setbacks than I used to be able to. Yeah, I think some people might mistake that as increased patience. Maybe it's just my age. I mean, we did start at the beginning way back in 1994. So I don't know, Patrick, but <laughs> I, I'm just going to say lessons learned. Yeah, you know, I lessons the, I, learned. I like the term wily veteran, right? Like the <laughs> when you're younger, you just run your head into stuff. When you get older, you're like, no, 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 wait for it. Now go. Right. <laughs> right. right. There, there's a little bit of like waiting for the blocking in football to like there's a little bit of patience. Right. Yes. Let it do its job. And then, you know, we'll be the wily veterans of like, all right, now it's time to go. 
a mentor of mine has been really focused on this phrase that I'm incorporating into my daily sort of vernacular, which is, you know, she talks about the power in the pause. And there actually is, when you think about it, this strength and this wisdom that comes from just taking a second to actually think and to be in the present and not just charging ahead at full speed. And by the way, this is why I've always historically been a horrible golfer because I just want to get to the ball and hit it. And damn it, if there's a foursome in front of me, that is too slow. That just like, you know, would kill me. Now I should be a better golfer. I'm going to test it out this summer. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I just, well, I, I, I do want to like, so what sets your group apart, right? Where, you know, what is it that, you know, you're doing, what's your roadmap look like? How does this align with the exchange business? What's the secret sauce? Well, what differentiates us is a, is a lot of things, but I think it goes back to, first of all, this horizontal integration, this absolute ability to solve the client's problems, pain points, workflows in a single solution for them. And that's really revolutionary. And it is differentiating for us because when we go talk to clients, this is one thing that they complain about ad nauseum, that they just have way too many vendors, way too many products, nothing is harmonized, nothing is optimized. It's a disaster for them. So I think now we have all the right pieces in place to really change that landscape. And I think that's our number one differentiator right now. Uh, obviously the talent on our team is just through the roof. Like you could not have hired a Jerry Hanwick, a Henry Schwartz, uh, an Alok Kunta. You could not have hired these people to SIBO without an acquisition. And so now when I look at the team, it's just amazing. You know, I've sold Geraldine Endo from the markets team. She's the most well-versed in the 360 view of our, our business as it relates to the exchange business. I mean, the talent on the team is just through the roof. Another differentiator. But being a part of an exchange that has a global vision and a global mandate that we can walk with hand in hand, also a huge, huge differentiator for us. Because as we move into Australia and Japan, as we're really going on all cylinders in Europe, Data Next walks lockstep with this vision. And we get to benefit from all of the opening of the doors and getting all of this raw data into our stack. So it's just an amazing way to partner with a global exchange to vertically integrate different asset classes, global reach. Like we are with the exchange step-by-step step doing this. That's a huge differentiator because if you look at vendors and potential competitors are that live outside the exchange, yeah, they may have a little bit more flexibility. They may have more flexibility in some things they do and how they price their products. They're not regulated. That's an advantage for them. What's an advantage for us is actually being attached to a global exchange operator where we get to benefit, ride the tailwinds, of all of their innovation and exploration across the globe. That is a major differentiator for us. Not to mention all of the captive data that gets uh, you know, exhausted out of our matching engines. And the rights to data, as I know you know, Patrick, the ownership of data is key because then you have the rights to license or not license, et cetera. And so when we have all of that data in-house, it really elevates our entire data and analytics stack. Um, Kathy, you mentioned mentors earlier. Just curious, who else has been a big influence throughout your career? Thomas Petterfee, as I started with, was my number one influencer, the earliest uh, influencer, the toughest boss that I ever had. There was a woman on the, you know, women on the trading floors back in the mid-90s were few and far between, especially as business owners 
and as traders. There was a woman on the Pacific Exchange who had her own brokerage firm, and her name was Lynn Keck. And she took me under her wing at a very uh, young uh, and impressionable part of my career and really looked out for me. And she was a pioneer. And so I really looked to her for guidance about how to grow up in this industry, get a tough, thick skin because you're going to need it, and just get in there and compete day in and day out and not have, then uh, be fearless. And Lynn Keck was a huge mentor of mine. And I don't even know she knows this uh, because I've never really talked to her. But but Shelly, as you mentioned this, I'm like, I, I owe her a call because she really needs to know uh, how much she did uh, influence me for sure. That's great. Thank you. It's interesting uh, having most of my friends who were involved in any of the trading environments. It is very aggressive men, right? So most of them are like athletes, college athletes, uh, some semi-pro. And that competitiveness is is just, you can touch on, you've got to have thick skin and you've got to be able to play rough. Is that something you've always been comfortable with? Is that something that you think you, you learned? How do you, what are some of the things that you think made it possible for you to, to get through that? I, I am a little bit naturally comfortable with it. I mean, I am one of three girls. Uh, so I kind of became uh, my dad's, you know, tomboy, the one that got to climb trees, do the irrigating with him, all of the things that maybe a son would do. And I loved sports growing up. And so I played a lot of sports and I desperately wanted to be on a little league team boys. And um, I was very competitive at a very young age and just naturally flowed into athletics. So I had that familiarity and comfort with competing, you know, with boys and, um, and so forth. So I think there was a little bit of a natural affinity, but, but let's be honest, like the trading floor is a challenging environment for anybody let alone women. And I do remember uh, a PhD coming onto the floor uh, one time and he stood in the back of a trading pit. He stood there for two months. He never once got the nerve to open his mouth and then he left the trading floor. And I can understand that because I remember the amount of courage it took me the uh, first time I had a badge and walked into a pit to make my first trade. I mean, it was tough because you knew the minute you opened your mouth as a new trader that it was going to be an attack. Uh, they were they did not like competition. But the great news about tr the floor traders is, is as much as people might want to categorize them as just vicious and heartless and jerks and locker room talk. The great news is once you stood up for yourself and you made it, then you were one of them. You were the one of them and it became inclusive. So. You know, I don't know if that's ever really talked about, but once you actually like hold your own, you gain the respect, then you're included and you're in, in and it felt very comfortable for most of my career there. SIBO has such a great diversity and inclusion program that is designed to really get people on the ground for what it means to actually be aware of those types of things that I think in the past people were not necessarily aware of. Yeah. And I think there's a lot more appreciation for the, the software people now, right? Oh, they're the rock stars, right? I mean, you know that. The, but they weren't before, right? You still had to oh, have no. in the pit. You had to know people, you know, so the software was complimentary. It wasn't the star of the show just yet. This is true. But yeah, I really love having you on, uh, you know, love the energy, really love everything you've done. Uh, a lot of success. Glad that you're starting to appreciate the summers here in Chicago, which is really the, I hate to say, a very large portion of why to live here. Yeah, right. for sure. Uh, the winters, you know, it's not Green Bay. 
but it's uh you know it's not san francisco it's not california it's it's it gets a little cold in san francisco though right it gets down to like 40 sometimes well the problem with san francisco it's it's like 55 all year long so you never get that nice great great summer kathy so much thank you so much for being on thank you kathy patrick shelley was a, a a great time spending this time with you i really appreciate you having me on awesome well, we also want to thank our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate everyone taking the time to, to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.